Well, come and worship indeed. Thank you for that invitation, worship team. And so we shall, as we open up the Word of God and hear from Him here together this morning. I I do just want to begin this morning by sharing with all of you a couple answers to prayer here in the life of our church family over the past week. Uh, We actually had two individuals, little Grayson Esmeyer, three-year-old, and Keith Avery, who is not three years old, uh, that had uh, brain surgery this week. Uh, Pretty serious operations on both of those individuals, and in God's grace and goodness, kindness, uh, they both are doing well in the recovery process. Grayson's dad, Adam, was here first service, uh, and it was just a joy to see uh, the relief that's there on his face. We're just so grateful to know that God is at work in mighty ways, even in the lives of individuals. And I should say thank you to all of you as well. I know many of you as a church were supporting uh, those two and their families this week as uh, they went through those significant ordeals. And we're grateful that the word has come back positively in both of those cases. Well, one of my favorite things is to stand here on a Sunday morning and say to each of you, open your Bibles. And so that's what I'm going to do here this morning as I tell you to open your Bible to Ezekiel 36. You didn't see that one coming, did you? For those of you who already have your finger in John 16, go ahead and keep it there. But we are going to start out in Ezekiel 36. You know, I don't know that I have ever heard a Christmas sermon start out in Ezekiel 36, but this one is going to. And the fact that none of us have probably ever heard of such a thing is actually very significant because the text of Ezekiel 36 directly connects the coming of Jesus to the granting and coming of his Holy Spirit. That's very important. You see, in the divine mind of God, God does not sort out the arrival of Jesus from the arrival of the Spirit. See, he doesn't see Christmas and Pentecost as being separate points for consideration, each with different meanings. No, in his mind, these events are but the single culmination of his plan for redemption, a work where he brings life to man. It's a work that starts with God in a manger, but ends with God inside your heart. See, that's the work of God. That's what he was accomplishing on that very first Christmas through the life of Christ, which ended. And as Jesus ascended back into heaven, his spirit came down into the hearts of those who had placed their faith in him. And so in a very real sense, the coming of God's Holy Spirit into the lives of believers is but the natural culmination and the conclusion to the Christmas story. Which is why, as we've been going through the past several weeks here in the month of December, our Christmas series has been rooted in John chapter 16. In God's providence, that is the text that he has laid before us as we have moved our way sequentially through the Gospel of John. And what we have been learning in John chapter 16 is that the person of the Holy Spirit, he is God's great gift to each and every one of us who have put our faith in Jesus Christ. In a very real sense, the Spirit is Christ's Christmas gift to you. And we've been looking at at why that gift is so powerful and so very profound. But that's really where Ezekiel 36 comes in. 
Because isn't it the arrival of God's Spirit that He had promised from long ages past? I mean, if you rewind the tape all the way to the beginning, last week you'll remember that I quoted from Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 specifically, where mankind has fallen into sin, and God's immediate response is to promise to send a Redeemer. A Redeemer who would do what, though, I ask you? Well, that plan is further unfolded then in Genesis 12 and Genesis 15 as God comes to Abraham and promises that he would provide a universal blessing to all mankind. But when the blessing of that Redeemer arrived, exactly what would happen? Well, that's what Ezekiel 36 verse 26 answers specifically. Here is how that blessing from this Redeemer would be applied to your life. Listen carefully. God says, I will give you a new heart, a new spirit I will put in you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh instead. And here's what I'll do. I will put my spirit within you, and he will cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Right there in Ezekiel 36, we find the culmination of what began at Christmas. The Redeemer comes to bring blessing, and the blessing that that Redeemer brings to you is the awareness that now you can have a relationship to God, God Himself now dwelling in the fullness of His greatness down inside of you. See, that new spirit that Ezekiel talks about it's the culmination of what Christ came to offer. And ultimately, the gift of that Christmas child to you was the driving mission of God to plant life inside of you. And that, my friends, is that not the gift that we've been talking about over these past three weeks? As we've been looking at the greatness of the Spirit that Christ has seen fit to bring to us, He, the Spirit, is the one who connects us, the branches, to the vine. He is the one who makes it possible for, for us to know the reality of Jesus. He is the one whose voice, as heard through Scripture, now guides, directs, convicts, and governs our life. And those are all the many plentiful reasons why we say that the giving of the Spirit is Christ's greatest gift to us. And so as the followers of Jesus Christ, this Christmas season, it makes a lot of sense, doesn't it, for us to stop and seek to understand the nature of that gift and how it operates? See, any contemplation of Christ's Christmas gift to you, it's got to end with the contemplation of Christ's Spirit now inside of you. So this morning, let's start by considering the nature of this Spirit and His voice in your life before we move on to examine the need for it. So go ahead, and if you haven't already, open your Bibles to John 16. That's what you were expecting to begin with, was it not? And this is the text that we'll pick up where we left it off. Now, last week, we were talking about the ministry of the Spirit to the world, the way by which He's a gift to all men. And He is a gift to all men as He does His work of conviction in the hearts of all men, pointing out to them the reality of their sin, pointing out to them the reality of Christ's righteousness, and pointing out to them the judgment that will befall them if they do not repent of their sin and come to Christ. 
See, that's the ministry of the Spirit out there in the world. He goes before us as the church to convict in the lives of those who have yet to place their faith in Jesus. That's what the text taught us last week. But here, as we open back up to John 16, we're going to find a very different kind of ministry. Not a ministry to unbelievers now. No, this is the way by which he ministers to us. Those of us in the church who are believers in Jesus Christ. This is the gift of what he accomplishes now in you. And you can see what he does there right away in verse 13 very clearly. We're told, when the spirit of truth comes, this is what he will do. He will guide you into all the truth. Now, it's very important for us to understand what that means. Because this is a day of great and mighty confusion as it relates to the work and the way by which the Spirit does His work. And that truly is a tragedy because confusion is the exact opposite of what is supposed to happen when the Spirit speaks. So let's make sure we understand good and well what Jesus means when He says the Spirit will guide us into all the truth. I want us to begin this morning by considering the clarity of his voice, because that really is what verse 12 and 13 is pointing us to understand here, that when the Spirit speaks, he is not confusing. He is extremely clear, and we need to understand what he says and how he says it. Let's start this morning by acknowledging how he doesn't speak to us. You know, there's a classic scene in a classic film, perhaps you've seen it, where a particular character is searching for a hidden door out in the middle of the woods. And so he puts his sword out in front of him, clasps it in both hands, and closes his eyes and begins to wave his sword around, hoping that eventually it will mystically and magically direct him to the place where this hidden door has been secreted away. And as he slowly waves his sword around him for a few moments, hoping that it will take him in the right direction, he finds that his search is futile, as you might expect, and it ends in absolute failure. And so as he slumps against a tree in abject frustration, that tree, through sheer dumb luck, opens the door. That is a perfect picture of what many people think is going on here in verse 13. That somehow, mystically, the Holy Spirit is just going to point me in the right direction. And, and when I see the direction he's pointing me in, well, I'll know it. Is that approach really what this verse is teaching when it says that the spirit of truth will guide us into the truth? No, not at all. You see, the, the voice of the spirit is not vague. His guidance isn't subtle. It's not a still small whisper. No, his voice is loud. It is specific. It is very clear. See, the guidance of the Spirit simply means that He takes the truth of who Jesus Christ is and He applies that truth to your life and makes the glory of Jesus known to you, a sinner. 
That is the work that the Spirit does in your life, and you can see that right there in verse 13, as the guidance of the Spirit is further explained and defined. Whatever the Spirit hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. For, verse 14, He will glorify me. That is how the Spirit speaks. And isn't that what Jesus already promised? Back up in verse 26 of chapter 15, you rewind just a few verses. And what do you find? Jesus says there, when the helper comes, what's he going to do? He's going to bear witness about me. And so when the Spirit speaks, his message is a message that reveals to us the person of Jesus Christ. His message is a very clear message. That's the message that he brings to us. And there's a very clear, specific way by which he impresses that message upon us. So let's talk about that. See, verse 13 is not at all aimed at hearing the Spirit through mystical impressions or voices. No, it is a verse that really communicates how the truth missing in verse 12 about Christ gets to us. Look at what Jesus says there in verse 12. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He is going to guide you into all the truth. Now, the first thing we need to understand here in this text as we seek to understand what Jesus is saying is to recognize that verse 13 is not a statement about you. Verse 13 is a statement that is made in a very specific historical context to a very specific group of people. See, it's important to understand that the direct application of verse 13 is not to you, but it's to these apostles, these 11 disciples who are still with Jesus through the upper room discourse here. See, verse 13 doesn't mean that the Spirit of God now speaks to you audibly or that you, being equipped with God's Spirit inside of you, can now trust every thought you have as coming from Him. That's not what we're being told when we're told that the Spirit is going to guide us. No. In verse 12, Jesus says, There are many things about me, disciples, you 11, that you need to know, but you can't bear them now. But the Spirit of God, when He comes, He is going to fix that. He is going to instruct you, you 11 apostles, about all those things that I want to say but can't right now. And he is going to prompt you to accurately record the truth about me. Indeed, as chapter 14, verse 26 already told us, it would be the Spirit who would bring to the mind of the disciples all the remembrances of what Jesus had said. So what's verse 13 really all about? This verse is primarily about the way that the Spirit of God would superintend these men as they went out and authored the Scriptures. The Scriptures are the inspired Word of God because the Spirit of God guided these men into all the truth about Christ that Christ was not able to explain to them during His incarnation. And then they wrote it down. And the result of that work, as the Spirit guided these men into the truth of Christ, is that as they wrote, now you and I, we have the full record of God's Word. Because of that work that the Spirit did, no longer can the statement of verse 12 be made. 
that there are many things that you need to hear. You're just not ready to hear them yet. No, the Spirit of God came. And when he came, he inspired the authorship of the Word of God, so much so that the rest of the New Testament can now say accurately that we have everything we need for life and for godliness. That's a far cry from Jesus' statement here to these disciples in verse 12 that there's a lot of things you need to know, but you can't understand them right now. Well, somehow, 30 years later, we find the Holy Spirit saying through the pen of the Apostle Peter, you've got everything you need for life and godliness. There is now nothing with the Spirit of God that you are incapable of understanding that God intended for you to understand. You see, that is the benefit of the Spirit. And it's why we say He is a gift. Because of His work through these men, there is now nothing that is missing. There is nothing that is lacking Everything that needed to be said has been said and is now available to you and to me. And that is the gift of the Spirit to you and I. We don't have to wonder and wander around seeking to discern whether or not something is from the Spirit. Is that vague voice the Spirit or is that just me? No, the Spirit He has spoken. He has fulfilled this promise already. He was faithful to guide these followers of Christ into all the truth of Christ. And now because of that ministry, you can clearly know the mind of God. And that is why the work of the Spirit is a gift to each and every one of us who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ. See, just because this verse was originally promised to these apostles. That doesn't mean that it has nothing to do with us, however. That's just the primary application of it. But see, what does this mean for you and me? Well, let's explain that now. Just as the Spirit guided those men into all the truth about Christ, so too now does He guide you and me into all the truth about Christ. But he does that by illuminating for us the clarity of the truth about Christ in the Scriptures. And that's the reason why the sword that the Spirit uses in your life is the Word of God. It's the reason why being filled with the Spirit is the same thing as being filled by the Word. See, all of those things that Christ wanted in verse 12 to say to his followers but could not say... Those words have now been spoken, and we have them here in this Scripture. And and now the Spirit of God, He lives inside of us, showing us, convincing us, helping us to apply the truth of the Scriptures about Christ to our life. And that is the gift of the Spirit to you and to me now. He still makes known to us the glory of Christ, but He does that through the pages of His Word. He speaks to us directly through the Word of God. And so now, we don't have to wonder, was that message from God or was it just me? Was that tingling in my bones, something that was a prompting of the Holy Spirit, or is it just because the heater in the room kicked on? 
See, if you would know the guiding work of the Holy Spirit in your life, if you would take advantage of this great gift of your Jesus to you, then you must open your Bible and ask Him to illuminate for you the truth and glory of who Jesus Christ is, the truth of what's contained in these pages for you. That's how this verse gets applied to our life. You know, as my friend Justin Peters said when we were together over in Madagascar over a year ago now, he said it this way, it's so helpful. If you want to hear God speak, read your Bible. And if you want to hear God speak audibly, Read it out loud. (laughs) Really good advice. But if you're going to say, the Spirit told me, or the Spirit urged me, or the Spirit directed me, then you need to have a chapter and a verse ready. Because that is how the Spirit of God speaks to us to make much of Jesus Christ. This book is His message to us. And it is crystal clear. You don't have to wonder what God has to say to you. No, the gift of the Spirit, the benefit of it, it's exceedingly clear. And that's what Christ has granted to us. The knowledge of the truth as we study it in His Word. See, Jesus, He wants us to know about more than just the clarity of the Spirit's voice. He also wants us to acknowledge the authority of His voice as well. And that's what He says here in these next verses. He, the Spirit, will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. See, the Spirit of God doesn't just send out random messages to you about everything and anything. No, what the Spirit of God does is to convince you of the truth of Jesus Christ. It's to go to work in your life, conforming you to look more like Him. And as you look more like Him and begin to think like Him, your thoughts will be brought into alignment with the Word of God. And then you will know what the Spirit of God has to say as you go through your daily life. But here's the truth of what Jesus is teaching us in these verses. When you open your Bible and hear the Spirit's voice speaking to you, what you're hearing is the voice of God Himself. See, you can know the mind of God because you have the Spirit of God within you. You can hear the voice of Jesus because you've got the Spirit of Jesus resident inside of you. And the result of that is that now the wholeness of God now dwells in you if you've come to faith in Christ, not a part, not little bits and pieces. No, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Christ. And now Christ has imparted the fullness of His Spirit to you. And so here's what that means very practically for us now. These verses that I just read for you, you can see them in your Bible and on the screen. These are verses that explicitly prohibit us from attributing to the Holy Spirit whatever we might want Him to say. We're being taught here that the voice of the Spirit is the voice of the Son, which is the voice of the Father. And they all, being one, speak with the same voice. And so you can't separate their messages out from one another. You know, sometimes as I interact with people out in the community or perhaps in pastoral counseling, 
I'll hear people make a statement like this. The Holy Spirit said to me, and then invariably what follows is something very much less than the authoritative word of God. He said to me to quit my job. He said to me to marry the girl. And when I hear statements like that, I want to ask that individual, and sometimes if appropriate, I actually do. Would you put those same words that you just attributed to the Spirit into the mouth of Jesus? Would you put those same words that you just attributed to the Spirit before the throne of God and have Him endorse them? You see, because the Spirit is invisible, people feel very free to attribute to him whatever they want to, as though he were the more malleable and agreeable manifestation of God, as though his word were somehow less than that of the Father and of the Son. And therefore, his words can be conformed to my words. And, and now what we've got is a God who's been fashioned in our own image rather than the other way around. My friends, that is so wrong and disrespectful to the inherent authority that is held by the Spirit of God. As Jesus instructs us here, if the Father hasn't said it, then neither will the Spirit say it. As these verse teaches us very clearly, the members of the Godhead, they share the same will, they have one mind, they speak with a single voice. They being three are truly one. And therefore, when the Spirit of God speaks, He doesn't just speak with His own independent, autonomous message as though He's a separate authority from the Father and the Son. No, He only speaks, Jesus says, what He hears from God in heaven. And what is the message from God in heaven? Well, hasn't that already been explained to us in John chapter 1, where God's message to you, the message that explains to you the nature of who God is, It's none other than the Word. And who is the Word? It is the person of Jesus Christ. And that's why the primary message of God's Spirit to you is to, verse 14, glorify Christ. You see, it's God's good intention that you would understand and know who He is. And He manifested Himself to you in the flesh, in the person of Jesus Christ. That's what happened at Christmas. But now, what is the function of the Spirit now that God in flesh has come? It's to take His Word and show you the glory of who Jesus is. And He does that with all of the due authority of God Himself. For His message is derived straight from heaven. He takes what belongs to Christ, and now he declares it to you. Now, let me be very clear. This doesn't mean that the Spirit of God only ever talks of Jesus in your life and through the Word of God. No, the Word of God addresses many other things that are pertinent to your life. The truth of Christ, it impacts every area of your life. What this means, though, is that as the Spirit reveals Christ to you, well, your life is going to begin to change. And you will begin to understand the truths of Scripture. And now, as you live your life and are faced with an employment decision or are faced with a marriage decision or any untold number of decisions about whether you should get married or quit your job or any other host of things, the truth is made clear. Because you have heard the voice of God in His Word. You understand His truth. You know the principles of how He expects you to live. And the Spirit of God uses those truths here in this Word to guide and direct your life. That's how He uses the truth. And the result of that is very plain to us. That when you read the Word of God, 
and the Spirit of God enables you to understand what it is saying, you now have a responsibility to respond to the authority of this Scripture by bowing before it and conforming your life to what it says. The Spirit of God is the one who guided the authors into the writing of this book and now having inspired his word as being perfect, now he comes into your life. He opens your eyes so that you can understand it and he expects good and well that you would listen to it when he does. See, that's the application of what we ought to do when we hear the Spirit speak because everything he speaks, he gets straight from heaven and he uses that to bring glory to Christ to manifest the greatness of who Jesus is in your eyes so that you would now desire to look like him. That's how the Spirit of God does his work. Well, we've clearly seen in these verses that through the Spirit, we've been given a clear and authoritative word from God. But there's one final quality about the Spirit's voice that Jesus would have us understand, and that's the quality of his voice. We've seen the clarity, we've seen the authority, and now Jesus is going to express to us the quality. Now don't forget, if you've been here with us for a number of weeks, the context of where we are. See, the disciples are listening to Jesus saying all of these things, and they're holding his gift to them in their hands, and they're kind of shying away, like, I I'm not sure that that's really the gift we're, we're looking for. I don't know that's the gift we really want. <laughs> and, and so Jesus here takes a moment in these last two verses, verses 15 and 16, to impress upon them the great value, the exceedingly great quality of this gift that he is trying to grant to them and to us. Let's look at what he says here. You know, and I might illustrate it this way for us. If you were given the choice between having an, an in-person conversation with someone or a phone chat, which would you choose? Now, I'm talking here before you answer about a conversation with someone that you actually like. Okay, that's an important <laughs> clarification. I know many people, given the choice to have a conversation with a tax accountant, no offense to tax accountants, are probably going to choose the phone conversation. I'm talking about someone that you really enjoy being with, like your wife or your husband or your friend or your child. Given that choice, which would you choose? Obviously the in-person option, right? I mean, that's better. Talking in person is always better. Phones might be convenient tools, but they're never as good as being with someone. I mean, unless the subject matter is really heavy, my phone conversations tend to be pretty short. I just don't like spending scads of time on the phone. I would much rather sit down over a cup of coffee and talk man-to-man, -man, both because it's man-to-man -man and because there's coffee involved. But, but sometimes, you see, sometimes we think that having the Holy Spirit and His clear authoritative word is kind of equivalent to the phone call version of a conversation with God. I mean, it's good and all, it's useful and necessary, but it's nowhere near as good as having an in-person conversation with Jesus himself, right? Wrong. In these verses, Jesus blows up that understanding. Here is what he says. He points to this gift, the Spirit, and he says, look, hearing from him is every bit as good as hearing from me. 
All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said to you that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. There's no loss of connectivity. There's no packet dropping here in the delivery of the word of God to your life. See, everything that is from the Father belongs to Christ. And everything that belongs to Christ, he has granted to his Spirit. And so when the Spirit speaks, it's with an equivalent quality to both the voice of the Father and the voice of the Son. To hear from one is to hear from the others. To hear the voice of the Spirit is to hear the voice of the Father. To hear the voice of the Father is to hear the voice of the Son. To hear the voice of the Son is to hear the voice of the Spirit. You you can't separate them out. See, that's why he says here, to know and have the Spirit of God, it's every bit as good and powerful and effective and desirable as being in the presence of Jesus. There's no qualitative loss between the Spirit's voice and the presence of Jesus. And that's why he says here in verse 15, all that the Father has belongs to me, and all that belongs to me is given to the Spirit. Their voice is the same. See, the Apostle Paul, you say, my mind's a little bit blown there. Explain a little more. The Apostle Paul does just that over in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. You can turn there if you want to, but I'll go ahead and read it anyway. Here's what he says. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? What's he saying? I, I am the only one who truly knows what I think. My spirit within me is the only one that knows really what's going on inside of my head. So in the same way, Paul says, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God that is within him. Now we, and this is the glory of what I'm trying to say now, we have not received the Spirit of this world. Who have we received? Paul goes on to say, we have received the Spirit of God from God that we might now understand all the things freely given to us by God. For who has understood the mind of God so as to instruct him? You, me, absolutely not. But you and me, we have the mind of Christ. See, that's the benefit that has been granted to you if you be in Christ. This is why the Spirit's presence in your life is the greatest gift Because now you can know the fullness of God's thoughts. You can know the reality of His mind as it has been revealed to you by the Spirit of God who has now guided the followers of Jesus into all the truth about Christ. The bottom line is right here. See, to hear the Word of God, it's to know the mind of the Father. It's to hear from the Spirit of the Son. And there is no qualitative loss whatsoever to hear the Spirit's voice in Scripture and then respond in prayer by that very same Spirit is to have a face-to-face conversation with God. And that's Jesus' point here. It's why the Spirit of Christ is such a gift to you and me. But see, Jesus, He's not done. He's going to take it one step further in showing us the qualitative equivalence of this Spirit. He's going to Ramp it up a notch here. He wants us to know just how good this gift really is. His men are, eh, I don't know about that. Jesus says, okay, listen now. And, and these words ought to really be encouraging to us if we understand them correctly. Look at verse 16. Verse 16, for these men, because they didn't have the Spirit enlightening them, was a riddle. But to you and me, it's very understandable. Here's what Jesus says, a little while, and you will see me no longer. That's in reference to his crucifixion in a short 
approximately two hours, he was going to be removed from their presence. A little while? Yeah, like a really little while, like two hours from now. You will see me no no longer, Jesus says. That's discouraging. But then this, and again, a little while, and you will see me. Based on the context of what we've been discussing here together in the Upper Room Discourse, what do you think that means? It means that he is going to send his spirit into the lives of these men and they would be able to see him through the lens of that spirit every bit as clearly, even more clearly than they had while he was there with him. To see him there means to behold with one's eyes. That's what he's saying here. See, it's a reference to the real presence of Christ that comes into your life when the Spirit of God invades your soul at the point of conversion. It's a presence so real and powerful and profound that Jesus can say with full integrity over in Matthew 28, 20, as he's literally going back into heaven, go into all the world, preach the gospel, and lo, I am what? With you always. How is that possible? It's only as His Spirit indwells us. And when that Spirit indwells us, well, what does He enable in us? The full vision of Christ. You're not lacking anything because your Jesus is in heaven. No, you've been granted everything that you need for life and godliness because you've been given the Spirit of God resident within you who now illuminates the Word of God for you. And so you can know the mind of God. You can know His expectations for you. Most importantly, you can see the glory of Jesus Christ whom the Spirit of God now glorifies. See, that's not just some disconnected reality for us. No, that, that spirit who now shows us Christ, it, it's a very personal kind of ministry. It's not as though, oh, I wish Jesus was here, but he's not. No, he is present in the spirit. Listen, for instance, to what Galatians 4, 6 has to say about this principle that now you can see the son through the spirit. Listen what he says. Because you're now sons of God, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into your heart. And now that Spirit of Jesus cries on your behalf, Abba, Father. It's a personal reference that guarantees a personal relationship to the Father. This is what the Spirit of God now does in you. Or listen again to Philippians chapter 1, verse 19, where Paul says, Look, I, I know as he's in prison and being pressed from every side, I know that through your prayers for me and the help of the Spirit of Jesus, this will turn out for my deliverance. I mean, he's in a really bad spot. Life is not going his way at the moment. And yet in that moment, where does he turn? To the personal ministry of an empowering spirit, the Spirit of Jesus with whom he is one. You see, this is the reason why we say the Spirit is a gift to us. Because now... Now He lives within us. He makes everything clear for us. Do you you see the amazing, personal, 
powerful benefit that is made available to you in this gift of God's Holy Spirit. What have we learned here about this gift this morning? Well, we've learned that to have the Spirit of God is to clearly hear the Word of God. It's to know the authoritative voice of God. It's to have the person of Jesus Himself truly living within you. This is the reason why the Spirit is Christ's gift to us. But as if to put an exclamation point on how great having the Spirit is, because these men certainly needed the exclamation point, we're given a pretty clear and graphic picture of just where we would be if we did not have the Holy Spirit. Let's spend just a very few moments here talking about the need for the Spirit in your life. Look at verse 17 and 18, and I ask you to consider. What would the Christian life look like without the empowering personal ministry of the Spirit of God? That's a really good question. And there's a lot of texts that explain that to us, but we don't actually need to go any further than just the next two verses here in this text. See, Jesus has just given these men an explanation of why the Spirit is going to be so profound. Never again would they be separated. Never would they be confused. With the Spirit, they would always know the truth, and they would always have the capacity to behold the glory of Christ. But they don't have Him yet. And so what is their response to Jesus' explanation? I give you exhibit A, verses 17 and 18. So, some of his disciples said to one another, What is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father. So they were saying, What does he mean by a little while? We don't know what he is talking about. <laughs> Two chapters these guys haven't spoken. And now they open their mouth, and they are so radically confused. I mean, the verb tense here in verse 18 is repetitive. So they kept saying to each other, they were saying over and over again, what is he talking about? Do you know what he's talking about? I don't know what he's talking about. What do you think he's talking about? They're just very confused. Why? Because they don't actually have the Spirit yet that Jesus has promised them here. And so... What we find here, as if to illustrate our great need for this Spirit, we take one look at these disciples and their response, and we can see in living color, in flesh and blood, black and white, just where we'd be too if we did not have this Spirit. I mean, what else are they supposed to say other than, what is he talking about? But see, when the Spirit did come, he guided these men into all of the truth, and they would know it. And no longer would they, verse 12, be unable to bear it. No, they would have access through the Spirit to all the things that Jesus had for them to know. They would not only know them and proclaim them, but they would understand them and record them. And now you and I too have everything that we need for life and godliness. Because the promise where we started out of Ezekiel 36, this new Spirit being planted within you, that promise has been fulfilled. And for each and every one of you who have put your faith in Jesus Christ, He now lives inside of you. And He, through the Word, is guiding you into all the truth about the glory of who Jesus Christ is. I want to close this morning by looking at a fuller explanation of this Spirit's power in your life. 
as we head into this Christmas season, I, I want for you, my people, to have every possible reason to give thanks to Jesus, praise to Jesus for what he has done and the gift that he has granted to you. And that means that you need to understand the power of what's been deployed inside of you. So, so go with me in your Bibles, if you would, over to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Because here in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul gives an extended explanation of what he refers to in verse 8 as the ministry of the Spirit. And he goes on to explain that, that this ministry of the Spirit of God now within us, it has more glory than anything that ever came before it. And he explains that clearly for us. You can begin there in verse 15. He says, look, unbelievers who don't have the ministry of the Spirit, they've got a veil that has been draped over their hearts. But, verse 16, when one turns to the Lord, that veil is removed. Verse 17, now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, what do we now have? There is freedom, he says. And so, now, with the Spirit, we all, with unveiled face, can behold the glory of the Lord. And now, we're being transformed through His work into the same image from one degree of glory to another. And that comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. See, that right there, that is the impact of this Spirit's ministry, the gift of the Spirit in your life. And, and just what does He do for you? Just what does He make evident to you? Just, just what is the result in your life? Well, the Apostle Paul goes on to explain that in graphic detail in chapter 4. Look with me. Here's what he does. He reveals to us the glory of Christ, just as Jesus promised that He would. Look at chapter 4, verse 6. It's the Spirit who is the one who now enables us to see. See what? See the reality that it was God who said, let light shine out of darkness. He has now shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Verse 7. And so we, having this treasure now, the mind of the Spirit that reveals the person of Jesus, He is now housed in humble jars of but human clay. We now know the surpassing power that belongs to God and not to us. And what's the impact of that daily in your life? How should you be encouraged this Christmas season as you reflect upon the greatness of Christ's gift to you? Well, look no further then than verses 8 and 10. The result, Paul says, we're afflicted in every way, <laughs> but because we have the Spirit, we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but because we have a clear vision of Christ, we are not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but because we have the knowledge of God, we are not forsaken. We are struck down, but because we're one with Christ, we are not destroyed. We are always carrying in the body of the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may now be manifested in our bodies. Friend, that is the benefit of what it means to have the Spirit of God within you. You now have clarity about Jesus. He told us very clearly here that when the Spirit came, He would glorify me. And indeed, that is exactly what He has done. And that is why He is such a great gift to you and to me. Next week, Jesus is going to go on in the following verses to explain the joy that ought to be ours now that we not only have God with us, Emmanuel, we have God 
in us. I invite you to come back and enjoy that together. But, but this week, remember that the Spirit of God is Christ's greatest gift to you. You have Him if you have believed in Jesus Christ resident within you, teaching you through His Word all about the glory of Christ. And what more, for now, could you and I want as followers of Jesus Christ? Let's close in a word of prayer together. Our Father God, we do thank You for Your Spirit, for Your Son, and for the Word that has been entrusted to us whereby we are able to know You now. And so through the power of Your Spirit, may that Word be applied to our lives and may we be people who respond well to its authority. May Your Spirit do His work in us. May He show us the beauty of Christ. And may the beauty of Christ reveal the poverty of who we are. And may we run after the truth of Him. Truth that You have given to us, guiding us into that truth. And so may it provoke our love and adoration and worship for You this season. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's stand together and close by reading from Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17. This benediction. May Christ dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Go in grace. We'll see you next Sunday.